previously on Age of Legends Downfall. Red and Al learned that the girl they rescued, named Darren, had been dosed with Forkroot to paralyze her and prevent her from channeling. The young girl's abilities brought out a rift between Red and Al, with Al advising her to seek out the Hall of Servants for training, while Red insisted she steer clear. In the early morning hours, Darren attempted to steal Elle's horse to flee when she was confronted by Majin guards who had come to the homestead in the early hours for reasons unknown. Darren lashed out with a fury the likes of which Elle and Red had never seen, ultimately obtaining a horse from a murdered guard and managing to escape before our heroes could stop her. Hannah packed up her belongings and advised she was departing as she wanted no part of whatever trouble she had apparently been caught up in and told Red and Elle to seek out her son named Hairbear at the Glowing Orb Inn to deliver a message. Our two heroes mounted their horses and rode into Majin, heavy with the feeling of the ever-present eyes on their backs. No, this is sake. Oh, oh shit! Damn, girl. Yeah. Adam, Cheers. I think you. I think you did the first one, Faye. If you could toast this one. Toast this one. All right. To lots of fun playing D and D. To great audio, and also to me hopefully finishing the books eventually. <laughs> Cheers. 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 Uh, we will pick up with the two of you already in Majin, having made it through the gates. You traveled for the better part of the morning. Uh, there was some slow shuffling as you filtered through the gate into the town. Uh, and the closer you got into the city walls, the more you felt like you were being watched. Uh, the glowing orb in you have learned upon entering is actually on the opposite side of town. So it is taking some time because the city of Majin is vast, almost as large as its older sister, Perendisen, which is the greatest city in the world. Uh, as you move through, you still feel these eyes on your back. You're not quite sure exactly where they're coming from. And I will go ahead and say, for the first time this episode, go ahead and roll a perception check. What time of day is it again? Right now, I would say 5 p.m. The sun's still up, but it's definitely entering evening. You guys have been traveling essentially all day. So you both look around and you really don't see anything. That uh, feeling is still there, but for the most part, can't seem to spot anything other than folks that you very much feel are travelers and are not there to spy on you or follow you in particular. So, shitty rolls. Good to see. <laughs> Getting those out of the way early. Can I whisper to Red? Or not whisper, but like talk to him in a way so that I'm hoping that nobody else will hear me? Absolutely. You don't need to ask permission. You just do it. Let's do it. Um, Red says, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he probably would. No. But <laughs> now that we're in Majin, I think we should go to the glowing orb, but we should be on the lookout for exactly where this research institute is. Yeah, um, that probably wouldn't be a bad idea. I don't know the city very well. Um, so just keeping an eye out for landmarks would be probably a good idea. So we have some frame of reference and we know where we can meet up if we get split or need to make a fast exit. I agree. I also think we should come up with a story as to why we're here so that we have a consistent story if someone asks us why we're asking questions. Sure. Uh, I mean, I usually get by with uh, not saying much to anybody, but... You usually you... get by with, this is my daughter. She's totally my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, we can do the father-daughter thing again. I mean, to be it, honest, it's getting a little old. I, I don't care. I'll play along with whatever you want to do. Uh, if you don't want to be father-daughter, that's fine. But just don't expect me to do a ton of lying for you. Uh, just kind of out of character question here. Yeah. Um, do people kind of have like accents here? Like, I mean, obviously we're not doing accents, but like, could people say like, ah, you're from this part of the place because you have you talk like this. Like, so for example, like if Red didn't hide his accent, could someone say like he's from this location? That is a very good question, actually. The way I look at it as is because Majin and Parandeson are sister cities, the diction is fairly the same. I think the biggest difference uh, is that it's mainly city versus country dweller instead of just like uh, regions. You know what I mean? It's sort of like where I'm from, the Midwest where Garrett's from, there might be certain things that we say that they won't say in Chicago proper, but it's like a 30 minute drive, you know? Versus if we were to go to like someplace further south, someplace further east or west, they're like, oh, you're from Chicago. I can hear it in your voice. Uh, no one really notices within like everyone around here. There's no R's. Everyone says AH's. You guys don't notice it. It sounds normal for you. But if we were to actually record this in the, the way it would sound to everyone else from around this world, you're always just like cup of coffee on the corner for a quarter. So no. We're all from, we're all from Brooklyn. OK, I got it. It's like, oh, the, I guess this is actually the best way I can put it. Think of uh, Inglorious Bastards. So if you've seen Inglorious Bastards. Oh, sure, no. They notice something's odd about the way he speaks, but there is a part of Germany where he's like, oh, I'm from Pittsburgh, no big deal. So the thing that gives him away isn't his accent, it's how he holds up the number three. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I'll look for stuff like that that you guys do, or you might reference something in particular. It's like, you're not from here, are you? But for the most part, uh, the way you speak and the way you look, it just looks like any other person who is either traveling from the countryside uh, or lives here. Canonically speaking, the books reference garb and dress and like stature as like that. This is what those people do. They're not from here, and you know that on sight because they have a. They're wearing purple. You know, it's it's goofy right. like that. I think within fiction, the best way I can compare this to, if you're uh, watching the show currently or if you are uh, reading the books, it's essentially where. If you're going to the big city of like Camelin or however you say it, because we haven't heard the official pronunciation yet, they would probably notice someone from the two rivers as like, oh, you're from the countryside. Except it might be like, well, I'm not from the two rivers. I'm from Amon's Field. Like, I'm not from Bearlin. I'm not trash. Like, they know the difference between the intricacies <laughs> of their like small town folk versus like the big city dwellers just think everyone that's not from the city are hicks. And you guys are clearly from the city. I don't know if we'll be able to hide the fact that we're not from Majin. So we're gonna have to have a good story as to why we're here. Sure, like I said, uh, whatever you wanna do. I normally get by without saying that much, but if you want him, I'll play along. So L picks up on the term, you know, he says play along. And L's like, well, you know, the people that travel quite a bit and no one bats an eye, what's the first thought that comes to mind? <sighs> merchants. Do we look like merchants? I, what do we have to sell? Uh, we bards. Okay, wait, you want to be bards? You can sing, right? No. What about juggling? No. <laughs> well, have you tried? <laughs> sorry. Uh, no, Poor no. Red, I'm so sorry. No, please don't apologize. I'm playing with you on this. This is, this is great. I think she just like reaches into her pocket, takes two apples and just tosses it at him. Red still holding oh. his reins. I mean, I think just on uh, pure reflex is going to like move his hands up. 
Uh, but and then roll to see whether or not he's able to do this properly. I'm yep. gonna go with uh, <laughs> you can do acrobatics or performance, whichever is higher for you. Um, can I so choose what's lower? If you want, yeah, go for it. <laughs> I'll do acrobatics. That's a two versus performance, which is zero, which is also, uh, you know, I got a 15 on that. Yeah, so describe how you definitely take these, because you definitely succeed at this. Okay, I see two apples fly at me, and I think that, again, holding the reins to the horse that I have, I guess I will kind of take it by surprise with these two apples, and I will probably inadvertently start juggling them anyway to keep them from falling. And then I'll just kind of, oh, okay, but there's two, so it's just one goes up while the other's in my hand, and then they're kind of just going <laughs> one, and then slide the other one, one, slide the other Elle one. Elle tosses you one more. I feel like that's a higher DC. <laughs> <laughs> I won't say you need to roll again. I think you're just barely keeping up with a 15. I think three apples, if someone were to try and juggle it, if you're on a scale of 1 to 20, 20 being the best you could possibly do, 1 being the worst, getting three in there to me is between 12 and 15. So you're keeping up, but you know, like another apple tossed in here is a no-go. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I think L's out of apples at this point. Traveling with three apples is like a lot of apples. Uh, she's like clapping. She's like, Red, this is like your calling. Uh, he, without any flashiness, lets the apples drop back into his lap. He tosses two of them back to her and, <laughs> oh God. and takes a bite out of one that he keeps himself. Roll a 2d6 damage. That's the one she had with razor blades in it. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> this one was poisoned. Toss them back and take a bite of the other one. Kind of roll my eyes at the fact that she was so entertained by me making a fool out of myself. Was it because you were making a fool out of yourself or because your name is Red and you were playing with apples as if you were named after them? <laughs> Red doesn't acknowledge the DM's comments. <laughs> <laughs> it's a thought that like floats through his head and he's like, no, no. He goes, Not where happening. did that come from? I'm going to suppress that. I'm going to put that, <laughs> I'm gonna push hearing, that down for therapy. Hearing voices again. So, hey, okay. DM, does anyone notice that he's juggling three apples? Let me roll for just the general crowd to see if anyone's paying any attention to the strangers <laughs> Listener, passing Listener, Garrett is like pinching his nose <laughs> and so annoyed by this. Uh, yeah. It's so great. What I, I love like is that I'm, this is I'm supposed to be a attacked. stealth. This is supposed to be a stealth mission. Like you guys were told on your way in, like keep under the radar. Don't even travel into the city. And then shit popped off outside. And the old lady you were standing with is like, oh, well, this is really bad. Stay under the radar. Get the hell out of here. And you get in there. You're like, I got a good cover story. Gleaming. Juggle these fucking apples. <laughs> Just throw them at him. If you've noticed, Elle is not good at stealth. Mm -hmm. She's like the big personality she comes out she's like hey guys i'm l let's be friends so luckily for you the townsfolk which i used for my dumbest character sheet that i have out there right now uh they rolled a two for perception so not only did they not really notice i think anyone who caught the peripheral of it thought to themselves like i wonder if there's a gleeman in town and went in a different direction <laughs> As you're kind of discussing a uh, background story that the two of you could have for uh, anything that would come your way, you notice some of the signs that you were told to steer towards uh, and some of the inns that uh, are passing by you are the directions that you were given like, oh, you're going to pass by the Dirty Mermaid or you're going to pass by like the Chum Scrubber. And so you know you're getting close and you see a sign that's actually in the direction you're heading and it says the Scholar District you know that the Scholar District is actually where the research center is located, so it's a fortuitous thing that's happening here where the inn that you are being directed to, which is much further away than the inn you likely would have stopped at had you not performed the way you did in the previous episode. 
uh, is probably going to be relatively close to your ultimate target. You notice a uh, sign glowing in the breeze up ahead of you, and it seems to have a luminescent effect as the sun is going down, and you'll notice the streetlights are coming on, and these are actually streetlights similar to what we have now. Since uh, this area is the Scholar District, they actually have technology that is more advanced than you would normally see. They also have these in Parandesan in certain spots, uh, and you notice that the sign is now illuminated, and it says the glowing orb. Uh, all right, L, I think this is us here. Um, I'm going to keep the horses. I'm going to take them over to, I'm assuming there's a stable in the back, so I'm going to do that really quick. Um, could you discreetly go inside and wait for me to start talking to anybody? Why'd you say discreetly like that? I'm discreet. Okay. Um, <laughs> I oh, see uh, you're a liar, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. What? Yeah, I'm sure you're discreet. Please don't cause a scene. I'll be in there shortly. And I and Red goes and uh, takes the horses to the stable. So Red, as you take the horses to the stable, you notice directly across the street uh, is what looks to be a uh, square for the town in this particular district. So this is almost like a business that's on the outskirts of like a commercial area. And you start realizing that there's universities that started lining this square. And directly across from those universities, which is catty corner to your building, is a large warehouse style building that seems to be three stories high that has a sign on it that says Majin Research Center. Mm hmm. As Red goes into the back, uh, to the stable, like I, he wanted to get in between the alleys to see if he can shake that feeling of being watched still. Uh, as you move towards the alley, uh, it still feels as though there's something dogging your heels, but you feel like there's less attention on you. Uh, and just as you're feeling sort of like a sense of unease, but not as heightened senses, let's say, uh, you hear someone say, can I take your horses? And it's this, uh, looks like a little uh, boy that walks up at first and you realize it's this really, really old dude who has shrunk just based off of his age. And you're kind of questioning whether or not he'll even be able to hold the horses if they should start to thrash or try and get away from him. Oh, hello there, uh, good stable master. What's it to stable the horses here for the night? Hello, my name is Dutch. I can't hear you. I'm almost deaf. Okay. And he just grabs the reins and he says, head on in. <laughs> he just starts going into the stable and he's moving as slow as you've ever seen a human being move. Oh, God. The, the horses seem like they're getting impatient. So. Um, how many horses are in the stable right now? He said, nice to meet you, too. I'm... I'm looking into the stable. How many horses do I perceive in the stable right now? I would say there's like 15 stalls on each side. There's probably about 10 stalls in the back, uh, and they're around half full. Okay, so seven, seven, eight. Yeah, I, I'd put it more like 12, 13. Oh, oh, 15 aside. I see what you're saying. My, my mistake. I will uh, go in through the back entrance to make my way in. So uh, as you go into the back entrance, you notice that you're entering into what looks appear what appears to be a kitchen uh, and people are preparing dinner. And as they see you, uh, they sort of like notice you. They're not happy you're there, but they wait until a larger lady who has a big wooden spoon and she's stirring a pot uh, yells at you and she says, new arrivals go to the front. Talk to the proprietor. Wait your turn for food. 
I was going to the front. I'm okay. I don't like this place. Um, Wipe your shoes. Jesus. Okay. Uh, I um, walk through the kitchen and try to come out on the front discreetly. And as you walk through, you feel someone pinch your bottom. Oh my gosh. I immediately turn around and it's I, that lady with the wooden spoon and she winks at you. I got uh, good. You heard her eyelashes flutter when she winked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I more quickly advance to the front of the establishment. She says something under her breath. You can roll a perception to see if you hear it. I'm going to give myself a disadvantage because uh, I don't want to hear it. Roll. Let's see. I like you giving yourself disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> My disadvantage is nine <laughs> total. So <clears throat> you don't hear what she says. You hear the phrase all night at the end of whatever it was, and all the ladies in the kitchen just start to laugh. So, But you come out to a fairly populated uh, main room. There's a lot of tables. There's a long bar. You see a gentleman who's fairly tall, fairly chubby, very red cheeks, uh, and he seems to be serving alcoholic beverages uh, to people at this bar. Uh, and then you see serving ladies who are walking around sort of setting down plates of food in front of patrons who seem to be having a good time in fairly good spirits. They all have different garb. Uh, some look to be like highborn. Some look to be a little bit low. They all seem to be thoroughly enjoying the food. And as your eyes are sweeping over this room, you look up to the front and you see Elle standing there looking directly at you. Go ahead, Garrett. One more point of order. Is there any entertainment happening right now? There is not. Fuck. There is no one. Fuck, in fuck, fact, fuck, you, fuck, you fuck. notice the absence of music when you walk in. So. <laughs> Uh, L, we'll take things from your perspective. Uh, as soon as Red walks away from you, uh, you definitely have the hairs on your arms sort of stand up. It's not quite when you notice that there is a male presence channeling near you. However, it is something enough that it just sort of just sets you on edge. Uh, you feel alone. And it's not something that you have really noticed feeling since you have paired up with Red. Uh, it's almost like this person that was forced to be around you has provided you with some sense of security that you haven't even noticed until you're standing alone in a city you've never really been to. You've traveled through, but you've never stayed at. And this sense of unease sort of multiplies because of that. So do you want to go directly into the inn or would you prefer to do something outside before you step in? No, I want to go into the inn because I'm feeling a little uh, uneasy. And she's doing one of those things where she kind of like has her hand on her on her side where she has the hilt to her um, to her long sword. Okay. Um, she's not like taking it out, but you know, if someone jumps her, she has her hand on it. All right. So you walk in looking kind of formidable. I think the face that you have on because of this sense of unease and the fact that your hand is near your hilt, uh, when you walk in, if someone were to pay too much attention to you, you might actually look rather dangerous. Uh, but as you walk in, uh, the patrons just seem to be wrapped up in their own business. Uh, you notice that the people sitting towards you are just talking about their day-to-day -day jobs, whether it be a research assistant at one of the local research centers or college students who are trying to make their way through complaining about particular professors who are very difficult on them. But they all just seem to be in fairly good spirits. It seems to be like normal conversation and they are definitely shoveling this food into their mouth, which 
at this moment you realize smells amazing. Uh, it reminds you of the meal that Hannah cooked for you the evening before, and you're starting to think that despite the fact that this journey has had its ups and downs, the food so far appears to have been pretty good. Uh, I'm going to walk up to the bar uh, to hopefully get some food, some drinks, and also to check in. All right. So whoever's behind that bar. So the portly gentleman walks over to you uh, and he says, all right, are you going to be checking in today? I'm so excited to get you a room. Uh, yes. Um, I was actually told by a good friend to look for someone by the name of, of Harold. Well, that's me. I'm Harold. So who's the good friend that told you to stop in? I'm going to have to give them a discount on their next visit here. Oh, um, well, actually, you know, we um, met this good friend along our travels. Uh, her name is Hannah Linen. He sort of leans in close and he arches an eyebrow and he says, my, my mom? like very softly because he doesn't want other people to hear what you're saying. Yeah, she leans in too and she says, and uh, she told us actually to give you a message. She said, I left and I never coming back. And she told us to call you Hair Bear. When you say that, his his brow furrows and it wrinkles exactly like Garrett's just what did right fuck? now. And <laughs> it's done every it, time right? in his life when I call him Gare Bear. Why um, am I being like picked on this episode? <laughs> <laughs> You are too. He uh, he sort of leans back and he takes in the things that you just said. Um, he doesn't seem upset. He just seems like he's very thoughtful right now in this moment. Uh, and he looks around and one of the serving maids is walking out with a tray of food. Um, and he says, Dolly. And she stops and looks back at him. And she goes, he says Pardon? to her, I hate you. Stop. <laughs> We're going to retcon Dolly because Garrett just had way too much fun eviscerating mm. the name. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so he says, Anya. Pardon? And she stops and she looks back and she says, yes, Harold? And he says, uh, run the bar for a minute. I'll, I'll be right back. And uh, he looks over and he sees that uh, Red just came out of the kitchen uh, and he looks to Red and he looks to you and he says, is, is he with you? Yes, um, that's my friend Maroon. Okay. Uh, roll a deception check and we'll see how dumb Harold is. <laughs> I say that really loud so that hopefully he hears me. My deception's great. That's a 16. He, uh, he, he seems to, like, be taken aback by the name, but then after a moment, he just says, all right, that's a name, I guess, but he, he accepts it. I know, it. it's weird. Does and, he tip uh, his hat at me and say, pardon? No. I fucking hate you. <laughs> you fucked this up. He tips his hat at you and he says, Maroon, yeah. um, the two of you uh, c come with me. And he walks actually past you, Red, uh, through the kitchen. Uh, and as he walks in, it's almost like the folks here just don't seem to notice him or you both walking with him. Um, the, the lady who seems to be running the kitchen is still stirring the pot and she looks up and kind of arches an eyebrow but just gets back to her work. She can recognize the look on his face. It seems that uh, he's more all business right now. Uh, and as he leads you to the back, you notice that there is actually a staircase that leads, uh, if you were to walk in from the door that Red initially entered the premises, if you were to take an immediate left, uh, this staircase would actually take you to the upper levels rather than the large grand staircase in the main room that seems to be where it takes the guests to their room. Uh, so as you approach it, you realize this is actually a servant staircase, and this is how they will uh, actually go and bring food and whatever is required of their uh, whatever is needed by their guests to them without navigating through the main room too often. Uh, and it's kind of narrow. Red, your shoulders barely fit through this. Uh, L, you're doing okay, and you notice that if uh, you were just slightly wider yourself, you'd probably have to twist a bit, as you see Red doing, to make your way through. 
and he leads you up to the second floor of the establishment and the rooms immediately as the staircase comes out into a long, long hallway filled with closed doors uh, are across from each other. And he points these two rooms and he states, all right, if my mom gave you my nickname, then I think this is probably important. I don't want to ask a whole lot of questions. So let me show you one of the rooms, but y'all can stay in uh, either or both. And he opens the door to the right and walks in. Uh, it's a fairly small room. I will say for L, this is very similar to the room that you stayed in actually when you were at Hannah's house. Uh, Red, you notice that this is significantly smaller than the master bedroom that you spent a few hours in when you were at Hannah's house. Um, and he walks you in. It's just sort of basic lodgings, a bed that's like a twin size, barely big enough to accommodate a single person, but it seems to be comfortable and it's clean. There's a desk that you can sit at and it has a lamp on it and the lamp is actually electrical. So it's uh, sort of benefiting from the technology of the city. So you don't have to light any candles here. Uh, and then it has a wash basin where you can sit in uh, and take care of whatever you need to when it comes to uh, getting fresh. He looks at you and he states, I don't want to ask too many questions, but if my mom left and she's not coming back, it's for a reason. So can you just tell me if she's okay? Yeah. I'll uh, I'll immediately go. Hey, nope, she's fine. She she went off on her own accord in good spirits. Uh, she was a good, kind woman to us. Um, but I think she just got mixed up, much like we are, in something that none of us intended to be. Is there any trouble following you both? <sighs> Can't say for certain, but it feels like there might be. L. I can't say for sure. All right. I respect that. I will say, if you need to keep your heads down and anyone asks after you, I'll just tell them that you're my kin, my cousins, who are just staying in town here to see the sights. So I'll keep it discreet and I'll keep it brief. And I think everyone here respects my privacy. And uh, I'll uh, ask you very kindly not to mention why you're actually here or that you've met my mother uh, to anyone. Of course. And the names that we'll be using and I ask that hopefully that you'll use to is Maroon and Marine. <laughs> Let me write that down. <laughs> Maroon I'm sorry. I uh, I thought of Marine first just to like be a name and then I was like, well, what's the second name? Hey, what is red? In like, what's a different way to say red? Maroon. I'm going with it. <laughs> I, uh, I, I like slowly look over to Harold and just roll my eyes like, don't fucking come with that or I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Harold, is your mom going to be okay? Oh, she'll be fine. She's a, she's a pretty tough lady. It's pretty hard to live under her roof, but she's always taken in strays, and I'll be honest with you, she treated them a lot better than she treated us going up, but I don't hold it against her. She knows what she was doing with, um, with her herbs and roots and plants and stuff. Oh yeah, there's no need to worry about her health. She'll, she'll be just fine on the road. She, uh, she knows what she's doing. We got that sense. So whoever's in the room across the way, you have a beautiful view from your window of the brick wall of the building next to us. This room is often overlooked because it's smaller than the rest. However, and he opens the shades to the room and it actually looks out into the square. And you can see the entire square and across from it, you can see the research building. Uh, and he says, if you're looking to be discreet, I would probably keep this drawn, but it's a nice way to see if anyone's coming to the building. We'll keep that in mind. So he pulls it closed uh, and he goes to exit. Hey, uh, hey, Harold. Yes, Maroon? You heard anything about people looking for kids? No. And he seems just like 
genuinely taken aback by the question. Like that was a weird thing to ask? Yeah. I mean, it's about as weird as it would be if you asked someone nowadays. I like elbow red. Kind of like so much for being discreet. Okay, Marin. <laughs> Marine. 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 He checks his notebook and he goes, I thought her name was Marine. <laughs> All right, well, I'll, uh, I'll leave y'all to it. We'll be up uh, shortly just hopefully to get a little bit of that delicious food that I was smelling on the way in. Oh, there'll be a plate with your name on it. And he just closes the door behind him. And he looks back at his notebook and goes, Marine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Marine, comma, L, question mark. So uh, you guys are in this room. Dinner's downstairs being served. Uh, I will say for the first time in probably since the journey began, you really are starting to feel the the weariness from your journey. You're starting to realize just by standing so close to a bed that it's been almost a full two days since you've rested. Uh, you got about an hour's worth of sleep before you were woken up by Darren the previous night. So a hot meal and a nice sleep is definitely sounding pretty nice. And I will leave it up to you guys what you're going to do from here. So Red, looking at the bed, he wants to take stock of L really quick. What kind of shape is she in? This is a question for either Faye or Adam right now. She is a relatively small person. Like you don't see any like visible muscle on her, but she's also kind of like wearing baggyish like traveling clothes. But you can tell that she's, you know, she's not very tall. She's probably like, you know, somewhere between five feet and five four. And she's like somewhere between like a hundred to maybe 120 pounds. Does she look like she's can use a night's sleep now? Does she is she looking kind of worse for wear? Yeah, she's tired. Um, but I think there's this, you kind of sense this unease around her and like you kind of see her even though she's trying to put on this like happy face of like, hey, like you're gonna be a bard, let me throw apples at you. You can see that every so often she looks around and I think it's because she still senses that like strange, someone's watching them, it's making her feel very uneasy. Hey kid, you doing all right? I'm fine. (laughs) I love interactions between characters because it's like, you don't really roll to bluff. You just try and bullshit someone in real life. <laughs> if you don't have any objection, I think we should probably eat and go to sleep. But also, I don't think we should go down to the common room. Do you want to sit tight here? I'll come bring the, uh, I'll go grab some grub and bring it on back up. I think that's a good idea. I feel like eventually we're going to have to ask a little bit about this research institute and what the general feel of it is. But I don't think tonight's the night. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think what we need to do is kind of just do a return to zero group reset. So I agree. Why but tomorrow you- night, you're juggling. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you... Uh, wanna- <laughs> you can tell she's joking. Yeah. Because she knows that you like really don't want to <laughs> juggle. <laughs> I told you, I, I have something in mind for it too, which is going to be great. Uh, okay. Why don't you just kind of keep an eye on the research center here? Just see if there's any... I mean, don't make it obvious. Don't have the curtains thrown open. You ever done a stakeout before? I mean, I feel like this is the whole be discreet L kind of thing again. This is the be discreet L. Do you know that's going to be kind of the through line that I'm going to encourage at all times? I'm always discreet. Okay. Uh, Red just... I think this is going to be like the tagline. I'm always discreet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's our and, first T-shirt. You know, she says always discreet, always discreet, and he goes, uh-huh, yeah, and uh, I'll be back in a sec. So he 
He takes off to go to the to the kitchen to get a couple of plates of uh, whatever they got going on down there. Uh, as you come down the stairs, you see the uh, lady who runs the kitchen, uh, who is carrying her big spoon. She sets it down and she prepares two plates for you, and, and she walks them over and she hands them to you, and just says, "Ah, uh, I'm gonna guess you're not gonna be eating down here tonight, sweetie." Um, no. All right. She hands it to you and she says, "If you need anything else, you know where to find me." And she winks at you again. Does it have to be you? Oh, it has to be me. That's what I. And thought. again. All the people in the kitchen just start laughing and giggling. He grabs both plates, uh, does that awesome server stacking where he has one on his hand, the other one's on his right wrist, and then he grabs uh, whatever he can find as far as like a big mug of ale or like a pitcher of milk or something like that. Uh, there's like a pitcher of ale, uh, and you can just snack it. So you can, it's just waiting for someone to carry it out into the common room. Yep. And you can just snatch it right up and take it with you. That's perfect. That's that's going to be his, okay, you guys laugh at me. I, and he just fucking <laughs> snatches, an, snatches a pitcher and walks his way upstairs. As soon as you snatch it on, he's like, hey, that's my... Oh, <laughs> she just like gives up on your way up the stairs. Uh, so you're carrying up these plates. And you notice that uh, it's just got like... You know, red meat, potatoes, veggies on it. It's like, oh, say it slower, deeper, slower and deeper. It has like mm, juicy steak on it, cooked whatever way you like it, which should be medium rare. And if it's not, there's something wrong with you and you're yep. broken. Yep. Turn the hit the pause button and then throw your phone away. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just got a very nice spread on it. It's definitely gonna fill you up. You don't look down at it and your your stomach rumbles, but you're also thinking like this is gonna be perfect. Mm -hmm. And you're walking up there with this nice pitcher of uh, brown ale. You have no idea whether or not it's going to be good. It smells like every other ale you've had in your life, so. Which is delicious. I'm going to kind of do the, my hands are full, so I'm either going to, like, do a, do a little toe kick on the door. Oh, yeah, I uh, will go open that door. Also, out of character, you better not let Elle know about this little crush that the cook has on you, because she is not going to let you hear the end of it. I fully intend not to let anybody ever know about it. Uh, yeah, she opens the door, um, sees that, you know, Red is carrying all these things and it, it feels a little bad <laughs> that she's been making fun of him all evening and like goes to help out. It's no, it's fine. Just just get in. I just see the door open. Just go sit down. Uh, I'm going to give uh, you I'm going to hand you a plate. OK. All right. So I will walk us out of this evening uh, through narrative. You're not getting poisoned or anything like that via food. I realize you concentrated so much on food that that might be something you were worried about. It is not going to happen. Um, no, I just wanted just you wanna... to describe. I just wanted you to describe steak and potatoes because I'm actually kind of hungry again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so fucking hungry right now, dude. Uh, okay, so are you guys going to have your meals in a room together or in your individual rooms? At this point, I think Elle feels very uncomfortable being alone because of that strange sense of being in this new city. That if Red is kind of like, I'm going to drop this food off and head out, she's going to like follow him to his room to eat with him. As Red starts setting stuff down, you have this meal. You don't really talk about the mission for the first time. Uh, you just sort of remark on some of the things that, you know, you've been through in your past. It's it's sort of like the superficial conversation of just getting to know someone, which uh, as you're having it, you realize that you guys haven't done yet in two days of being like with each other essentially constantly. Uh, so nothing too big aside from the fact that, you know, L, you confirm that A is indeed your sister, you know, and uh, Red, you just confirmed that, yes, you were sent there on a mission by the particular family that you work for, uh, and you're not sure how things are going to go, but, you know, in general, it's just this nice, quiet meal that you're sharing together. 
and when it's done, you guys realize that exhaustion is just, like, dragging you down. You're gonna have to get some sleep at this point. As you're getting ready to prepare for bed, uh, Red, you sort of realize that you want to stay in this room because you're feeling a bit protective of L, and you notice that she is a little bit uneasy. Uh, and L, uh, you have a little bit more energy to you, and Red, this is the first time that you're realizing you're absolutely exhausted. So, against your better judgment, you decide that you're actually going to spend the night in your own room, but you're going to stay on high alert, essentially. So, you make your way across the hall. It's an almost identical room, just slightly smaller with a terrible view. Uh, and you are able to just sort of bed down for the night and sleep comes quickly for you. So, I think L kind of sits down. I'm assuming that there's not really a desk or anything, but she sits at the dinner table that like where they just ate. And she pulls out a small journal um, and essentially starts to kind of write down what has transpired. Um, this has kind of been something that's cathartic for her. She's been doing this since she was a small child. Um, you know, mostly whenever her parents are like, oh, look at what A did. She did so great. She like go back into her room and like write in her journal. So she's been doing this kind of her, her whole life. And she writes about becoming, um, ascending to Aes Sedai, feeling a little bit like she was not given the honors that she should have been um, and kind of this very strange journey and this sense of an ease that she's had ever since. So as you're writing, your mind is really replaying the events of the day and you continue to focus on your sister and her behavior because in your past, uh, your sister has definitely been a goody two-shoes. You know, she's a rule follower. Uh, she is, you know, a high achiever. She's always been that. She's never really seemed to be someone who would be involved in a plot like the one that you and her are now associated with. And that thought is very prevalent in your mind as you fall asleep. And you fall asleep uh, at this dinner table while you're writing in your journal. And the the dream that you have is definitely one that sticks with you. You are actually just walking around a city that you've never recognized before, and you feel something in your fist. And when you look down at what is in your fist, it appears that you're holding multiple leashes. And they're not the standard leashes that you would expect, they're leashes of the One Power. Uh, and you look behind you, and you're not actually leading any sort of animal around, you're leading human beings. And they look familiar, but you don't recognize them. But this power is wrapped around their neck, and they seem to be just sort of overjoyed by the fact that you're holding the other end of it. Uh, and they're saying things to you uh, like, we're yours to command, uh, Ace Sedai, uh, and things where they're granting you this honorific. And uh, essentially, some of the things that you thought would come out of folks' mouths in the previous day when you did ascend. And you look down at your hand, and it's not just a leash, but it's that angriel that Mistress gave you. Uh, and when she gave it to you and you sensed its power and you knew that it's something that uh, you could use if you needed to sort of push someone in one direction or the other, it's holding all of these people and it's binding them to you. And you have this sense of awe from the power of this small relic and of fear based off of what it might be capable of. And as you have that sense of fear, you look up and A is standing over you. And she is just this imposing figure. She seems taller than she ever has before. And you sort of understand in that moment that it's a dream. And as soon as that realization comes to you, it's lost because your sister starts scolding you. And she tells you that what you're doing is wrong. And something like this could get you demoted back to accepted or a novice or uh, even put out of the hall of servants. Um, and she seems unnecessarily happy about this mistake that you've made. Uh, and her eyes just have this sort of cruelty to them. 
Uh, and she actually raises her hand as if she's going to punish you, and you notice that coming from her hand is a stream of the one power, and it's streaking behind her like a whip that's crackling. And she brings it down and lashes you with it, and as it makes a connection with you, and it shocks you, uh, you wake up. And in that moment, you realize that you are indeed at the desk. It is the dead of night at this point, and you fell asleep while you were journaling. But that dream has definitely shaken you to your core, and that sense of unease is greater now than it's ever been. Um, so Elle kind of sits bolt upright from the table and she looks down at her journal, shuts it, um, and just feels like she can't really go back to sleep after having a dream like that. So as you look down at your journal to close it, you noticed that your handwriting was getting sloppier as you became more tired and it sort of just trailed off. And then at the very bottom of the page, in this very sloppy, very small script, you realize you wrote a sentence while you were sleeping. And that sentence is, she has two shadows. The campaign Age of Legends Downfall is played by Faye Kai, Garrett Schultz, and DM'd by Adam Diaz. For more information about us, Twats of Twats, or other awesome work we do that is unrelated to The Wheel of Time, head to the Wheel of Time Show about the Wheel of Time Show.com for bios and our social media handles. The music for this ending theme song was composed on a Teenage Engineering's OP1, a Fender Telecaster, and with the use of My Mouth. 